Amen. All right. Um, before we go to the Word, we have a quick announcement by Brother Nick. Come on up here, homie. Hey, uh, I just wanted to share, like, an encouragement. How many of us literally feel like in our relationship with the Lord, uh, we're, like, literally hanging on to, like, one vine? <laughs> you know, uh, I just felt like that during worship, that a lot of people are, like, people are, like, asking, like, yo, God, where are you? Like, where are you? Are you even real in my life? Like, God, you said that if I follow you, you provide life and life abundantly. And, uh, man, just to be real, I kind of feel like that a little bit, but not really. So I don't relate to you guys that much. But <laughs> but because I want to show you guys, like, <laughs> the reason why I'm saying that, I want to show you guys that, man, I think, I think the difference between one that is just holding on to the vine and the one that has, like, a bunch of vines in his hands is really just opening yourself up to the Lord. I think the temptation always is when you're only holding on to the vine is to run away from God. But I think the thing is to climb that vine and to see that there's actually a lot more vines going on there. You know, and I, I feel like that's what people are holding on to right now, just one vine. And like, all right, God, this semester is coming to an end. Finals are here. After this, freedom, you know, like. But I feel like, dude, what, why don't, why wait till later? Like, what if today is your last day? Right? Don't you want to experience that freedom now? For the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And, that, and if the Spirit of the Lord lives inside of you, then we can always operate in that freedom. And when we get to operate in that freedom, then we become unstoppable. Right? Not invincible, but unstoppable. Right? Meaning that the devil can't do nothing. The flesh can't do nothing. We could just keep going and going and going. Right? I was, sorry, last thing. I was reading First John, and it's amazing because in First John, he says, if you have fellowship with me, then you have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Who says that? Like, I have a, hey, Philip, if you have fellowship with me, then did you know that you're actually fellowshipping with God himself? Dude, that's some incredible faith. And I feel like, man, I just want to call us into that, you know, that we're not called to hold on to the vine. We're called to climb that vine and to see so many more vines. We're like monkeys, right? A monkey will fail doing his job if he doesn't climb that tree and if he just stops halfway, right? How hungry and how thirsty are you for the Lord, you know? I just want to encourage you guys that it is actually possible to live a life always operating in that freedom, always operating in closeness and nearness to God because closeness and nearness to God is not determined by your sin or by your actions or what you do. It's all determined by the Lord, right? Also, like, if you want to go near to him, then he'll come near to you, right? But I just want to encourage you guys with that, that, man, there's a hope and there's a higher calling. And, man, if you are just holding on to that vine, just climb it, you know? <laughs> climb that vine and see what the Lord has to offer. Even if it's that one vine, I'm sure that the Lord is, has so much more to give to you, right? He has so much more to give and not to take. So much more to give, right? And so, I don't know, I just felt like I wanted to encourage you guys because I just felt like there's a good chunk of you guys who are just like oh shoot man I just can't wait and I want to get recharged at retreat but what if we got recharged before retreat that way retreat is even more glory right that'd be crazy awesome so yeah all right amen open up your bibles to hebrews chapter 11 we are in a series on this chapter of scripture um, if you have a Bible with one of those string things, go ahead and put your string in Hebrews 11 and then open up to Genesis 4 or 
the other way around, but we're going to be going into both of these portions of Scripture. So as you turn there, I'm going to do a short little news segment here. There was a lot of news that came out this week. I can't get into it all. I'm just going to cover one thing. President Trump announced that the United States will be recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And this is a, a, a big deal um, for us as a spiritual people. Now, I understand um, in the grand scheme of political things, it doesn't seem like it's really that big of a deal. But for us, I think there's, a, there's an extra significance to this. Now, if you're completely unfamiliar with the entire you know, controversy of Israel, there's no way in heck I'm going to be able to explain the whole thing to you in like a minute here. Okay, um, Just suffice to say, Jerusalem is the most contested city in the entire world. It is the most holy city, most important city according to Judaism. So for Jews, Jerusalem is obviously very important today. It's important for Christians because it's important for Jews. And it's important for Muslims. And if you don't know, there are like 1.8 billion Muslims in the entire world. And they also consider Jerusalem extremely important because they see it as um, the third most holy city in Islam. And so what you have is you have, you know, Basically, all the Abrahamic religions regard Jerusalem as extremely important. Now, hear me. If you have no understanding of spiritual realities, if you're totally secular, then you're like, what the heck is the big deal? These people are all crazy. They're fighting over a city. What the? It doesn't make any difference. Now, that's if you're completely unspiritual. Okay. The reality is if you understand you know, anything regarding the spiritual realm, you'll understand that Jerusalem is extremely important. In Jeremiah 3.17, this is Jeremiah prophesying. He said, in that day, Jerusalem will be known as the throne of the Lord. All nations will come there to honor the Lord. They will no longer stubbornly follow their evil desires. In those days, the people of Judah and Israel will return together from exile in the north. They will return to the land I gave your ancestors as an inheritance forever. Okay, so what's the point here? Many times in Scripture, God promises the land of Israel to the people of Israel, right? And this is an eternal, everlasting inheritance. It's given to them for eternity. Now, that sounds weird, but it's the truth. I always try and make, you know, I, I try and reestablish in our minds this idea that we're not going to heaven. If you're a Christian, you know... It's very popular to believe that we're going to heaven one day. And that's true, but that's not the focus of the Bible. The focus of the Bible is not on us going to heaven. It's on heaven coming to earth. And that's a really important focus. Why? Because it, it, it explains so much of Scripture. How can Jerusalem be you know, the eternal throne of God? Well, it's because heaven is going to come to earth and Jerusalem is forever going to be the capital city of a kingdom that's going to span into eternity. Am I making sense? Why are these things important? Look, if our Christianity is just about me and Jesus and helping people get saved, it's going to be hard to understand a lot of the Bible. No, the Bible is not primarily about you. It's not primarily about how you get to heaven. It's about a kingdom and, a, and the story of its king, and that's Jesus. Am I making sense? Right? We take all that biblical material and we kind of, you know, distill it down to its essence so that when I talk to you, it applies to your life. But sometimes in our Christianity, we can, 
you know, be so obsessed with, okay, but how does that apply to me that we don't understand what the heck the Bible's really about? Am I making sense? This is like this, this, you know, this self-centered culture that we live in where everything's about me. And if I, you know, tell you anything about, you know, the kingdom of God, then our brains start to shut off and go, yeah, but how does that apply to me? Maybe you need to apply to it. Maybe you need to get out of your bubble, you know, that's just how can God help me in my life and start orienting your life around how can I help Jesus in his story? That's it. That's what this is. Guess what? You're living in a great story, and sorry to burst your bubble, it's not your story. What? I thought it's all about me. No. It's not all about you. It's his story. It's the story of Jesus. You're living in a cosmic drama that's about, has a main character that's not you. Does that help explain things? That's why all the good stuff is going to happen to him. You know, you think you're the main character. right? God, how come you're not answering all my prayers? Why? Because he's answering Jesus' prayers. That's the whole point. That's why you get close to Jesus. That's why you become friends with Jesus. That's why you come under Jesus' kingdom. Because it's him that's getting blessed. It's him that's going into glory. And you get to tag along for the ride if you believe him. Does that make sense? Why is Jerusalem important? Because it's the city where he wants to live for eternity. Okay. All right, that's, that's enough on that. Let me just say one more word on this before. <laughs> right. A big part of the failure in politics is, is we don't know how to deal with the control spirit of the Jezebel spirit, right? I've talked about this in the past, but this, this dynamic of, okay, we do only what makes people not mad, right? Whatever, you know, the big criticism on Trump has been, oh, because he has done this, it's going to make a lot of people mad. Can I say that that is a terrible reason to do anything in your life? It's a terrible reason. Why? Because then whoever gets the most easily mad gets to control everybody else. What you do is you foster a culture of babies, Right? Where it's like, oh yeah, if I, I and, you, and people learn this behavior, I'm going to be outraged about everything because then people do what I say. Right? That's a spirit of control. And if you come underneath that spirit, man, you're, it's going to be impossible for you to follow God because God will always lead you into places where you tend to make other people mad. It's called persecution. And guess what? We're going to hear a story about it today in Hebrews chapter 11. Oh, what a glorious segue. Holy cow. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, to give us a little bit of review, we talked about chapter 10, how this is a call to perseverance to these Jewish believers. Do not forsake the faith. Hang strong. Stay firm until the end. And then he comes into chapter 11. He's going to describe all of these people who stood firm in the face of persecution, in the in the in the in the face of testing, and today we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. And he says this in verse 4. It says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. 
Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Amen. All right, we're just going to do one verse today. Praise him. Because there's an entire story here, right? Like, we can't move on because we have to understand the entire context, right? New Testament authors are constantly quoting Old Testament passages, they're, because they assume that you're familiar with it. And if you're not familiar with it, you don't know what the heck they're talking about. So to understand what he's saying here, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we're going to go through the first eight verses here to get the story of Cain and Abel. And he says this in verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve. you got to love that New Living Translation. They make it plain, right? It's not Adam knew Eve, right? No. And she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift to the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Verse 6, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Okay. This is the story, it is a famous story, about how the world's first siblings got in a big fight. I don't know about you, I got in so many fights with my brother growing up. I got in a ton of fights. We fought all the time. And um, Lord, heal my poor brother of all the times I beat him up, oh God. Emotionally and physically, amen. Um. Now, when we look at what happened here, Cain and Abel both come and they present an offering to the Lord. And these are brothers. And one of them is a farmer, and he brings his, you know, plants, fruits and vegetables to the Lord and offers them. And the other one is a, you know, um, shepherd? Yeah, I guess that's the word. Takes care of animals, and he brings um, his animals to the Lord. And it says that the Lord accepted one and not the other. Now, let's clear up a misconception. Some people think it's because God only wants animals as a sacrifice, okay? I have heard this taught before, surprisingly enough. I am pretty convinced that I do not think it was an issue of animals or plants. I don't think that was the issue, okay? The issue is not what was brought, but the kind that was brought, okay? And it says specifically, right, Cain, he brought some, he presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord, but Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. This is the primary difference. Abel brought his best, his first fruits, and he brought them to the Lord, and he gave them as a sacrifice, as an offering. First of all, let's talk a little about offerings. 
Guess what? Back in the day, if you were rich, how could people tell that you were rich? You had lots of cows. You had lots of sheep. You had lots of goats. It was in your cattle that marked you as a wealthy person. So what did it mean when you brought your best sheep and you slaughtered it and lit it on fire? It's like you were taking your money and lighting it on fire. That's what it was like, right? Imagine if that's how God asks us for offerings today, right? You just put your money, poof, you light it on fire. That's kind of how they must have felt back in the day, right? This idea that I'm literally giving my money away for something that seems, that appears to be useless. Can I say that's how many of us sometimes are tempted to feel about the offering that we give, right? Sometimes we're tempted to think of it as just something that it doesn't seem like it's doing very much. It doesn't, and the big temptation is this. The temptation is that we want to give of our leftovers rather than to give God the first and primary things of our hearts. And Jesus is going to back this up. He's going to say this, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. What we see is that there's this clear link between the priorities of our heart and where it is that we're spending our finances. This is really important because a lot of people argue, I don't get, I don't understand why we need to give offering. I, you know, I, I love this line, right? Everything that I have is the Lord's. I love that line, right? It's all his, but God never actually gets it, right? You're just the, the you're the bank that never gives it, right? You're just stewarding God's resources, but it never actually goes beyond your own interests and the things that you want to use your money on, right? Can I say this? The tithe is a very practical and important commandment that we are absolutely obligated to follow. Why? It's not because your money is so important. God doesn't need your money, right? He says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the money in the world. He can snap up some more if he wants it. The issue is not the money. The issue is your heart. That's the issue. And especially in the culture in which we live, where so many people put their trust in riches. And hear me. I bet almost every single one of you has been discipled in this trust in your life. Let me put it to you this way. How would your parents feel if you just dropped out of college? Probably be a little upset. Probably come and yell at me. <laughs> right? For many of us. Why? Because they pay a lot of money for you to go to college. Think about this. Your parents pay an incredible investment for you to be educated. Why? So that you can get a good job, so that you can make money. Okay, now let me make something abundantly clear here. I am all about education. I think education is fantastic. I think it's important that you be excellent in all that you do. I want to see Christian experts in every field of academia, right? So hear me when I'm saying, when I'm telling you it's important. I think your education is important. 
Now, that being said, if God tells you to give it up, it's time to give it up. That's how this works. We follow wisdom until the voice speaks to us. When the voice speaks to us, the voice of God always trumps wisdom. And guess what? How do you think it is that God tests our hearts? He speaks to us in such a way, right, that we're challenged to confront the things that we've trusted in our lives. Am I making sense? Right? Brothers and sisters, let me put this to you another way. Jesus makes it clear all throughout the New Testament in several stories and parables that the most dangerous thing for you is for you to trust in money rather than God. Let me put it to you another way. There's a lot of ways I could put this, right? On the day of judgment, when you stand before the Father in heaven, your life is going to be thoroughly reviewed Every act of faith that you have done will receive a reward. And guess what? For the vast majority of us, the thing that will have stymied and hampered our good deeds in the Lord will be our faith and our trust in money rather than him. Why? Because so many Christians refuse to sacrifice their wealth when the Lord tells them to you. Let me put it to you another way. If you're really following God, he is going to ask for your money. And it's much better to give it to him when you don't have that much. It's so much easier, right? It's so much better if you right now is a poor, broke college student. Say, God, I'm willing to give it all to you. Why? Because your all is like nothing. Let me put it to you another way. One day, you might, you know, get a job and then you do what everyone around you do. You're going to buy yourself a nice car. You're going to buy a house. You're going you're to start paying for your kids' college tuitions or whatever. And then what happens if God says, now I want all of your money? Will you be able to obey that if you wouldn't give God everything when it was like a couple hamburgers, when it was like, here's my K-barbecue money, God. If you can't give God Korean barbecue, how are you going to give him everything when you have a lot more? I'll tell you, you probably won't. You probably won't. You don't realize it, but right now is when you're being tested in your faith. Right now is when you're making the decisions that will determine the trajectory of your life in God. A lot of people want to have God in their lives because they want his blessings on what they want to do. But I tell you, the whole point of Christianity is that you must die to yourself if you would experience his life. Everyone that tells you that you can keep your own priorities, that you don't need to die to yourself. Oh, yeah, no, you could just go to church sometimes. You know, try not to cheat as much as you do. Don't have too much sex, right? As long as that's your understand Christianity, I tell you, you will never experience an amazing life in God. You will never experience God showing up in amazing ways, and you will be exposed on the day of judgment. That's what I'm telling you. Now, might you be saved? Yes, Scripture does have this category of people who are 
who are saved as though through the fire. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians, right? There is a category of believers who does believe in Jesus, who tries to follow him, but their works are so meager at his judgment that they come into eternity and they're poor, relatively speaking. Am I making sense? Brothers and sisters, I tell you this. It is so much better to be poor now and rich for eternity. And I don't say that. I don't say that emptily. I have made that trade. I have made that trade. I love that trade. That trade is so glorious because here's what you need to know. Your money is actually not as valuable as you think it is. That K barbecue, it ain't that valuable. Oh, yeah, I'm breaking strongholds off right now. That stereoscope coffee. Ain't that valuable. That little rice rocket car you got? (laughs) I'm just playing. I'm just playing. The Lord judges our hearts. Amen. He judges all of us. And, and, And this is an important thing to note. Guess what? It's very difficult to judge another person's faithfulness right? It's, it's hard enough to search your own heart, right? So we need to be careful when we're judging other people because of their spending habits. So hear, hear what I'm saying. We're talking generalities here, but ultimately the question is, are we going to obey what the Holy Spirit is telling us, right? But I am saying that there is a principle here. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. My challenge, my loving challenge to you today is to lay down. Lay down your finances. Lay down your money. Because I, I tell you, if you don't do it while you're a college student, it will be a snare to you in your life. It will keep you from the glories of the kingdom. It will keep you from becoming a powerful minister in God. It will keep you from ever developing a dynamic faith in your life. It will keep you from being able to enjoy the great rewards of the age to come. It is not worth it to eat some slightly better meals in your life, to go on a couple vacations. You know what's far more worth it and what the scriptures say is is awesome? Scriptures say, you know what's awesome? Being thankful for what you have. Being like, I'm rich. Guess what? You know what the scripture says? Let the poor say, I am rich. That's not because God just showered down a lot of Benjamins on you. No, it's saying, wow, I realize that the blessings I have right now are so amazing, and I'm so satisfied with the blessings I have right now. That's what it's saying. And some of, some of us are like, oh, but that's impossible. I don't have, you know, that dress that I've been looking at. I don't have, you know, I don't have this one thing. I don't know what the stupid things that we want are, okay? <laughs> but let me tell you, the problem is not the message. The problem is our own foolish thinking that makes us think that if we just have this one thing, then that's going to bring happiness. No, that's not going to bring happiness, brothers and sisters. I'll tell you what brings happiness. A simple intimacy with Jesus. I tell you. You know why? Because I've got so many stories all throughout the Bible of people who were put in jail, who were flogged, who went without anything were persecuted by those around them who left and forsake all things 
and yet were filled with joy and happiness in their lives. We have the testimony of people like Abel. We have the testimony of all these people in Hebrews 11 who tell us, let's cast off these things that are hindering us. Not just like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's violently, spiritually stop those things. That's what, like, drop kick it. Does that make sense? I tell you, that's the mentality you want to foster in your mind. Not like, no, God, please, not this, right? Not that, anything but that one thing you're asking from me. No, I, I love me, challenge you. En- en- engage an aggressive mentality, right? God, all of that is trash to me. I count all things as loss, right? For the all-surpassing wonder and awesome glory of knowing you, Jesus, right? That's the thing that I'm fixated on. That's the thing that I want. And you know what happens? You start to develop such a simple lifestyle, right? Such a simple lifestyle. Why? Because all you need is some time and some random spot of carpet for you to encounter God on. I know that sounds kind of, you know, I don't want to make this all grandiose. I understand. I'm not trying to make it so simple in the sense that it's easy. It's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. It takes great faith. But this is my loving challenge to you today. Do you know what the treasures in my life are? My treasures are my relationship with God, which I won't give up for anything, and my family. They're my treasures. It's not because they're the most perfect family. (laughs) It's not because we have no flaws or weaknesses as family. But it's because we've cultivated a simple love, right, and enjoyment for one another. Does that make any sense? The stuff of the kingdom is valuable and it's hidden in its glory. Right? That's why it takes humility to see it. Right? The proud are always focused on things that look impressive on the outside. And they, can't, they, don't, they don't recognize that all the truly valuable things in life are the things that are hidden on the inside. Right? When Jesus said, I came to give you life in that more abundantly. Some people, you know, they, they think of yachts and mansions. Right? But that's such foolish thinking. No, Jesus didn't come to bring you yachts and mansions. Right? He came to bring you abundance of life, peace, joy, contentment, hope on the inside. So that no matter what environment you find yourself in, no matter what trials you find yourself in, that there's an overflowing life on the inside of you. Am I making sense? That's what this is about, brothers and sisters. So when we're talking about tithing, you know, there's um, my old pastor. When I was in Texas, I went to a church called Gateway. My pastor, Robert Morris, over there. This dude has given everything away in his life. His car, his house. He, he gave literally everything away three times. That's, that's pretty awesome, right? And he says that every time the Lord has blessed him back with more. But he has a great teaching on this. And I would encourage you, you can find it on YouTube because I'm going to give you a summary. But he has, you know, authority in this area to really break off strongholds. This is something that you struggle with. But he talks about how tithing, you know, it's not just a matter of how much. Meaning, if you have $10, how much is your tithe? It's $1, 
right? One-tenth is the tithe, right? But it's not just a question of how much. It's now which of those $10 bills is your tithe, right? And he makes your argument, it's the first one that you, get, you got. Does that make sense? The first one that you got, that's the tithe because that's the first fruits. And this is the principle that I think a lot of people miss when we practice or when we talk about tithing. We always think about it in terms of 10%. But can I tell you, it matters if you're giving the leftovers or if you're giving the first place of priority. It matters, right? Guess what? It matters when you're giving gifts to somebody. Did you just buy the gift that you found in the bargain bin? Sometimes they do that. Or did I give a gift that's an expression of my heart? Am I making sense? Right? That matters. It matters the heart that we're doing these things out of. And guess what? If we can sense with one another what, what's undergirding our worship, what's undergirding our friendship, what's undergirding our actions, how much more so can God perceive us? Now, this should give us hope, too, because even though my tithe is quite small, Oh, the heart of worship it's given in, right? Oh, the amazing love that God receives. Even though my gift is small to him, it's given with trust, right? I'm saying, God, I trust you with this, right? What does it mean? It means even if I don't know how I'm going to meet all my other financial obligations, I know that if I give the first tenth to God, then it's his responsibility to help me meet all these other obligations. Does that make sense? Hear me, a lot of Christians never understand that. They think, I can't afford to pay my tithe. No, you cannot afford not to pay your tithe. You can't afford it. Because then what happens is you never experience God's supernatural provision. You don't have testimonies in your life of how God helped you supernaturally. And that's what this is about. How are you going to ever develop a trust in God to bring you through and provide for you, right, if you don't have these stories in your life, you can't go from level one faith to level 100. It's impossible. David can't slay Goliath without first conquering the bear and the lion. Am I making sense? What I'm saying is that the difficulty and the struggle that you have right now in this season of your life to give the first 10% to God, I tell you that to overcome this difficulty and to see God come through in this season of your life, is what is going to catapult you and enable you to see God come through in much bigger ways in the future. Am I making sense? This is extremely important. That's why it's not just a principle. It's a command. We are all commanded, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are commanded to tithe. And I understand some people are going to argue, well, isn't that Old Testament Mosaic law, and doesn't that just apply to Israel? And the answer is no, it's an eternal principle. It is not just for ancient Israel. Abraham practiced tithing 400 years before the law was given to Moses. It's a principle of first fruits. And I want to lovingly encourage you if this is something that you've never done, hear me. First of all, I understand. I understand. We live in a culture that is so fixated on money. And what that does is it makes you worry that you don't have money, right? Why? Because every time you drive down the road, you literally see like 10, 20 things that you could buy if you just had more money. Every time you click on a web page, 
Right now, they know your whole search history, and they're, they're showing you the thing you just searched for. You know what I'm talking about? These targeted advertisements now? Dude, these guys, man, they, they keep improving it. The temptation, they're getting better at tempting you. That's the point. Am I making sense? Right? You saw those shoes. They look so good. But you just didn't have the money. I'm going to resist temptation. Now you see those shoes, right, every day for the next couple weeks. Right? They're just blasting you with the temptation over and over and over again. I get it. I understand. But hear me. The calling that God has for you is not just to be able to have enough money for today, but to have freedom over the spirit of poverty. Okay? The poverty spirit is I don't have enough. Right? It's a spirit that leads directly to unhappiness. Because you never have enough. Because even when you technically have enough, there's so many bad things that could happen. Right? Like a fire could come and destroy your home. An earthquake could come, right? A relative might come out of nowhere and need help, right? There's always danger that could be lurking financially. And I want to tell you, to overcome this, it's a spiritual problem, not a physical one. It's a spiritual one primarily, and you can have freedom in this area. You can have complete freedom where you're not worried about money. Where you're not comparing yourself to all the graduate students when you graduate from college. You're not comparing yourself to all those people who chose wise majors. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding, brother. Right. Why? Because if your faith really is in the Lord, meaning if God really does lead you in your life, then why are you worrying about yesterday? Am I making sense? This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on, to what's ahead, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Am I making sense? We need to let go of our old regrets. Let go of the old things. That's a, that's a game that never ends. The enemy can torment you over and over and over with that if you let him hear me. Some of you need to break off a spirit of poverty in this season of your life. Break it off. It's so simple, by the way. Not easy. How do you do it? Oh, it's so simple. You just pray, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to sell and give the money to the poor? So simple. Just like that, you could break off poverty in your life. You could break off a fear of not having finances. You just go, God, is there anything you want me to sell? And I'll tell you what tends to happen. Right? That thing that you have on the shrine in your house, right? That thing that you have in the safe behind all the locks and everything. Okay, you guys aren't there yet. That thing that you desperately don't want to give up and can't live without. Can I tell you what that thing is, brothers and sisters? That is your, that is your idol. That's what that is. That's the thing that's keeping you from a dynamic life in God because that's the chain. That's the ball and chain that's keeping, from you, keeping you from being able to pursue Jesus, right? Just cut it off. Snip, snip. Dropkick that thing. Right? Just let that go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You know what might happen to you? You might make some people mad. Now hear me because this, this part's important. For many of you, 
if your parents have a stronghold of poverty on their life, guess what they're going to do if they see you acting in a way that doesn't fit their standard for you? Well, they're probably going to get kind of mad at you, right? That's kind of how this works. Now, I have good news for you if that's what happens, right? Blessed are you when people slander you and persecute you and say all kinds of stupid, that's Dennis's translation, things about you for my namesake, right? Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is very great, right? That's the message. You know, if I could be honest, let me put it to you another way. If your parents have a stronghold of poverty, why aren't they pissed at you already? Does that make sense? No, that doesn't make sense. Okay. If your parents have a stronghold of poverty, then you should already be acting in a way that is making them mad. Does that make sense? Now, I understand for many of us, we haven't yet taken that step. Come on. It's time to do it. It's time to do it. Don't let the fear of parents keep you from the destiny that God has for you. And look, some of your parents, by grace, are going to bless you in it. Some of your parents are going to go, I understand why you're doing these crazy things. Look, for me, I sold my most precious possession, Taylor 814 CE. What a glorious guitar that was. The Lord has, the Lord has blessed me with it back, by the way. I always play Sam's guitar. He's got the exact same guitar that I sold. Right? Every time it's like, it's like, see? Like, yeah, I remember, God. Thanks for letting me play my old guitar over and over again. Right? The Lord, the Lord compelled me and said, sell it and give the money to the poor. Right? Broke, it broke that spirit of poverty off of me. Right? Now, if your parents see you doing stuff like that, I bet some of them are going to get upset. That's where you stand fast and say, Mom and Dad, I love you. I want to honor you with my life. But when the Lord convicts me and tells me to do something, I must follow God. Am I making sense? I must follow God. Now, look, if this is a big issue like move to Africa, come talk to me first. Okay? Don't just move. God told me. Okay? Because we need to have humility that sometimes we can mishear God. Right? And if it's a big issue, absolutely get some counsel, get some pastoral counsel in your life. Right? That's fine. But we cannot live in a fear that our parents are going to be upset with us because we have too much faith. Can I tell you what happens? Because guess what? Sometimes your parents do come talk to me. Yes, yeah. yeah. Sometimes they do come talk to me. And sometimes they say, you know, Pastor Dennis, you know, my child, he's fasting too much. Right? He's praying too much prayer, Pastor Dennis, right? He's evangelizing too much. You know what happens to me? I have this big old grin on the inside. Right? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love getting those kind of, yes, I love it when your parents talk to me about those things. Man, it makes me so happy on the inside. Now, hear me. I'm not trying to say dishonor your parents, right? Let's honor our parents, but let's recognize that they do have some weaknesses. Let me put it to you another way. Your act of faith might be the catalyst that sets them free. Your act of faith might be what brings revival in your household. And I've seen that testimony many times in my life where because God took a hold of a young person, his or her parents were challenged. They were challenged and inspired by the faith that was in their hearts, and it brought their family into a new revival. Am I making sense? Hear me. 
What the enemy has designed for evil, God takes it and he turns it into good. Right? I tell you that if you're battling against your parents' control because they resent your faith in God, I tell you there's such an opportunity for breakthrough to happen in your family. It's time to contend for your parents that God would set them free from a spirit of poverty. Amen? Now hear me. Sometimes your parents have great wisdom. I'm not saying throw off all of their input. Okay, A lot of their input's really important in your life. But I am saying when you can discern that they do not have a mentality of faith. They're telling you to choose against faith, to get rid of your faith. That's where you say, no, I'm sorry. I must follow God in my life. He is my priority. And I tell you what will happen. Your parents will eventually be blessed by your faith. Okay? Your parents will eventually be blessed by your faith. But this is how the Jezebel spirit works, the spirit of control. If you give into it, what you do is you nurture that behavior in your authorities. Okay? If you give in to control, it's only going to make encourage them to continue to do it in your life. Right? You cannot oppose a spirit of control by trying to appease it. It only makes it worse. You have to stand up to a spirit of control, still with honor, still with respect. Right? But you have to say no when you know that the Lord is calling you to do it. Amen? All right. All right. I got a lot left, but we don't have time. Worship team, come on up. If we could all stand up right now, I'm just going to close with this as we, as we go into prayer. There's a story, another story in Scripture about a rich young ruler, Scriptures call him. And he comes to Jesus and he says, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. And he says, Jesus, I've tried to keep all these since I was a young man. And Jesus, right, he says, one thing you lack, one thing you lack, take your possessions and sell them and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. My friends, I want to challenge you today. If material possessions, if money is the thing that's keeping you from following Jesus, Hear me, it's time to let this go. It's time to surrender it. It's time to say, God, I trust you with this. For many of us, we may not realize that this is such a strong hold in our hearts. And maybe you're being provoked today because you're recognizing there's something here that's so hard for me to let go of. Some of you may have been through so much difficulty in your past because of a lack of finances. But let me tell you, the primary reason was not finances. The primary reason was a lack of faith. Hear me. God wants to give you faith so that your testimony can be like Paul, who said, I found the secret of contentment in every situation, whether rich or poor, whether in sickness or in health, right? whether in jail or free, 
I found the secret. Brothers and sisters, God wants to give you this secret of contentment. There's an invitation today to give it away, to give it up, to say, God, I'm giving you the first fruits of my life, the first fruits of my heart, the first fruits of my money. God, I'm giving it to you. And guess what? There's a blessing. There's a promise that comes with that. You give your money to the poor because Jesus asks you to, and what happens? You get treasure in heaven. Some people, we need to fix our eyes on the treasures of the age to come. I tell you, those treasures should be more real to us than the treasures of this earth. We should be looking forward with great hope and expectation to the age to come and all that's going to happen there. I want to tell you, let's be rich in eternity, brothers and sisters. Let's be generous in this age. Let's be poured out like drink over and say, God, you can have it in this age. You can have the riches. Look, some of you are going to be called to steward lots of money. I'm not saying you're all called to be technically poor. But I am saying that if God gives you a job where you're making lots of money, guess what you're also called to be? Generous. You're called to give a lot of it away. God's going to call some of you to be doctors and lawyers and businessmen who make lots of money. But I tell you, if you don't learn generosity, it will be a snare to you in your life. Let God empty you in this season. Let him take it all. Let him have the first fruits of your life in this season. I tell you, then you'll experience God's leading, his guidance, and his supernatural provision all throughout your life. Amen.